true believers are described as humble. And they have been humbled by the grace of God because my pride prevents spiritual growth. Remember, James says in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. That word resist in verse 6 is the word opposes or resist, and it's in a military term. It was used for the Romans and their legions, and it means that they do battle against. And so he uses the Roman term for going to battle and says, God goes to battle whenever he sees pride in my life. And therefore, what does a humble believer act like? What would God want and will battle until that's in our lives? James says it's made up of 10 conscious choices. And they're right here, starting in verse 7. They're imperatives. There are 10 of them. And it's the character of James's preaching. He nurtured and discipled those people to become supernatural servants of God. He reminded them of what Christ said. First of all, in verse 7, submit to God. Uh, that's Matthew 6, Seek first the rule of God in your life. So he says, submit to God. Have a constant daily choice to hear and to submit to what God wants from his word. And in James 4, 7, it continues, resist the devil. That's what Jesus did in chapter 4. It's so clear in the gospel account. A daily choice to say no to the world, no to my sin, no to my flesh, no to the devil who stirs them all up. And then, verse 8, right out of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, draw near to God. It's a personal choice to chase after God, like Jesus, to chase after him in prayer, like Jesus, to let him captivate our thoughts, like Jesus, to meditate and allow his word to, as it says in John 17, 17, sanctify us, we draw near to God. Verse 8 continues, cleanse your hands, you sinners. It's a conscious changing of our mind about any known sin which leads into a change of our behavior, which is repentance. But it starts by me wanting to have nothing to do with it and to have my cleansed hands. Verse 8 concludes with, purify your hearts. It is seeking the constant cleansing of Christ's blood, as 1 Corinthians 7 says, from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, we want to be cleansed. Then in verse 9, James says, lament. That's a word that means we begin to practice uh, the word for an army without food and shelter exposed to the ravaged stormy weather. What it means is to expose yourself to loss. James used a word calling for voluntary abstinence from comfort. Much like the concentration of study that led to a scholar or the rigorous training that leads to a, an athlete, it's a chosen life of saying no and, and unfriending the world so we can bear the Holy Spirit's fruit of self-discipline, which is the only way to produce a giant that lives for Christ. There is this lamenting of all the distractions of the world and saying, I'm going to set my affection on things above, not on things on the earth, which leads to verse 9 continues, mourning. This is the reminder of our sinfulness. As John Wesley would say when he saw the white streaks forming on the cheeks of the miners as tears coursed down their blackened faces at the Kingswood mines in the 18th century. So James says to his first century luxury living, unconcerned, and unmoved churchgoers, 
Let God rend your hearts until you mourn over your sins. They had lost the wonder of being forgiven much. They compared themselves to others and said, I'm not as bad as them, instead of comparing themselves to God and being smitten by how bad we really are, measured against the holiness of God. Which leads to verse 9, the next one, weeping. These are the tears of sympathy that move us to action, welling up from a compassion-filled heart. No longer are we unmoved. No longer are we uncaring. Our heart mourns before a holy God and soon becomes filled with the compassion of Christ. And our laughter is turned to mourning. And James tells them that when they sorrow over the gravity of their sinfulness, they will rejoice over the greatness of God. Which leads to verse 10. Humble yourselves. An internal awareness that all that matters is God, not me. A choice to put on a humble mind about life. So what was James's message? He said, be humble in God's sight. Don't be humble in people's sight. It's nice, a byproduct. Be humble in God's sight. Only God knows if we're really saved. God and us know whether or not we have bowed before God as a holy, awesome God that we deserve endless punishment and call on him as our only hope. And not try and buy our way, not try and earn our way, not think there's any goodness in us, but bankrupt as beggars in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit from the Beatitudes. Theirs is the kingdom of God. It's the word for a beggar that was absolutely destitute. I come destitute before God and say, be merciful to me, the sinner. You are God, and I am the sinner deserving your wrath, and I ask for your mercy. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned. God wants to pour out his grace upon us more and more. His grace is reserved for the humble. The humble are those who bow before the majesty of God and bow low, and they realize how great God is and how great I am not. God is great. I am not great. God is everything. I am not everything. Life is about God, not about me. He must increase. I must decrease. When I'm clothed with Christ's chosen attitude of humbleness, I become the target of grace. When we practice humility, God douses us with grace.